Today in the podcast, I have a very interesting lady. Her name is Anne Cole. She is a string instrument maker. And she got an award in 1979 where she won recognition at the Arizona Violin Makers Competition. She was awarded first prize for her Salomon Cello. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Anne? Mm-hmm. Yes. Salomon Cello. And her instruments have been played internationally. They've received such recognition. Welcome to the podcast, Anne. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I am so interested to learn how hard is it to make a cello? <laughs> it's really hard. Really? It's really, really hard. Especially if you start from the tree. And yeah, I mean, down. I have seen your website. Um, Anne's website is annecolevioilinmaker.com. And Anne has some videos on her website where you can see her pulling these pieces of wood, I mean, lumps of wood, and she pulls them out into her workshop using old methods and just creates these most magnificent pieces of artistic instruments. How did you begin in all of this? Where did it begin? Uh, The beginning is my school cello, which I was using as a junior high school student in the seventh grade. And it was covered with graffiti and scratches and misused. And I decided I was gonna take it home and fix it up for a present for my teacher. And so I did just that and covered it with terrible fence paint varnish that it was the right color of orange. I thought they had to be orange. And so I had I started from that point as, and then I discovered this old book called Violin Making As It Was and Is by Heron Allen in the 1800s. And I read that over and over and over and over when I was in school and finally finished my first violin, which I started in ninth grade. I finally finished it at the age of 22 after I graduated from college. Wow. And what did you study in college? Uh, Music, because I studied the cello and piano in college because I knew that in order to make a living, I had to do something. And girls in, in my generation had about Oh, maybe four choices. We could be secretaries, we could be nurses, we could be teachers, or we could be mothers. That was just about it. Mm-hmm. And so I chose teacher. Okay. <laughs> and um, I became a cello teacher and I married a violin violinist who was, his passion was teaching kids. And so we, We taught violin and cello for uh, David, my husband has probably been teaching since he was 15 and he's now almost 80. We only retired from that particular venue about five years ago when we both, you know, when you get old, it's really true. You, you lose your faculties, you lose your hearing. You well, right. you, a, fam- a family member says in my family, age doesn't come alone. 
That's mm-hmm. what he says. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's these other things that are stressed when you get aged. Mm-hmm. But um, a number of weeks ago, I interviewed Caitlin Fahey Crow, and she suggested I reach out to you. And I think, did you teach Caitlin? Yes. She yeah. was, she came to me as a little six year old. She's so amazing. So I've known her. Yes. She's, and she was always one of my favorites. Yeah. And she, um, she is, kind of come into the same world that I live in now through a, a circuitous method of being good at a lot of things and then realizing, hey, you know, I think I love kids. I love music. This is what I'm going to do. She's so I'm inspirational. Gonna... I mean, how mm-hmm. she really empowers young children to pick up the cello and you know, tell them that, yes, you can play this if you put the work in. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. instrument. It's one of my favorite instruments. So going back to your um, history concerning instrument making and making cellos and violins and violas and so on. Before the interview, we were chatting about the Hutchins Consort. And I think is it mm-hmm. Arlene Hutchins? Carlene. Sorry, Carlene. Carlene Hutchins. Can you tell us about who she is and how she influenced you? Carlene was a a a great innovator from the 1950s and she pioneered the study of how to how to uh, assess an instrument a violin through uh sound waves and computer generated uh information that you can get from these sound waves and these instruments when you test the tone qualities of the wood. So she was an innovator in a scientific way. But she also came up with the, with the notion that the string instrument family was missing the tenor voice. And then she realized that, hey, there's a lot of other increments of pitch that are also not there in our current orchestra setting, which is based on the sopranos, the violins, the violas for the alto and the cellos for baritone and the bass for bass. And so obviously we're missing the tenor voice and plus a number of very higher voices and contrabass lower, lower. Now, so this Cutchins consort exists, but now we have to get some music for it. And there's no accessible to the common man uh, classical music that's been written for it. So it's, it's real in danger of not taking hold and not becoming a force within classical music in just a dead end. So, um, while she was a great innovator in her lifetime, her work is definitely in danger of just becoming a historical footnote. Okay. So, and I would say that anyone listening to this podcast, if you want to check their website out, you just go to hutchinsconsort.org and you will find the link in the description. It's the, the right. sound is most rich. It's beautiful. It's a rich sound. It would bring yeah. just another aspect to the common orchestra as we know it. It would really enrich it. And, and as, I, as, a, as a young musician starting out be, becoming a maker, I 
I had based my dream on her creation. And I thought, well, gee, all these new instruments are, are being created by Carlene. And now who's gonna, how can we play them and produce music with them if there aren't any? Mm -hmm. So I was gonna provide the, the instruments. And do you, again, did you compose? Did you compose any music yourself? Oh yeah, I could mostly did the composing part for my kids, my students. But again, I couldn't teach them the Carlene Hutchins instrument because there was no venue for it. There was no place in the schools for these instruments. There was no music written for them. What you're saying is the 300 years, if you will, of classical music, it just has no place for it. And if there's no music right. written for it, where, yeah, where is it going well, to go? Well, there's no music written for the new additions that Carlene came up with, which is an astonishing feat and astonishing in the scope of it. But I mean, her, but her, this, her story is amazing where her workshop was placed. It was placed in the woods. She was living so close to nature. She had a, a workshop full of, for the want of a better description, lumps of wood. And she turned out these most beautiful looking instruments. I mean, you're doing the same. Right. But I, I learned the hard way that I'm going to have to stick to the traditional uh, venues of violin, viola, cello, bass in order to, to make my bread and butter. Yeah. And, and, do, and do you have a favorite? I mean, do you prefer cello to violin or viola to bass? No, no, no. no. no you have no favorite? No, I love them all. You love they're them all? all. My, they're all my kittens. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the procedure of making a string instrument? Where do you begin? You, you told me before this interview that you, you go very, you've approached this whole manufacturing, forgive the word manufacturing, of mm -hmm. instrument making through the old school method. Can you just tell us how you do that? What's the process? Uh, the process begins with a, a piece of quarter cut wood, hardwood for the back, um, conifer wood for the top. And are you and specific about, you know, you say conifer, but any particular kind of conifer, any particular kind of hardwood? Usually spruce. Okay. But again, we could go into this the aspect of innovation for instance some people think that italian cypress was used somewhat in the old instruments but the there's no more italian cypress except in ornamental gardens it's that tall columnar yes. um, tree yeah and so it's not available commercially mm -hmm. So that, you know, you can find uh, discrepancies and all that and what you should use. But again, if you want to do the innovation part, you can go to the new world, which is Oregon and California and even Washington and even British Columbia. Great woods in that forest grow that didn't grow in Europe that we could use in violins, cellos, and I definitely use it. One of my favorites is called Port Orford Cedar, and it grows only in a couple of little spots along the coast. And I love that wood, but most violin makers won't touch it because it isn't traditional, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a constant like give and take between 
innovation and tradition. Innovation, tradition, who wins out, uh, what new ideas take hold, which ones never make it. Yes, yeah. So, mm -hmm. so you start off with a piece of wood, you bring it to your workshop. I presume it has to sit there and season for a time mm -hmm. before you can work with it. And how long does the seasoning process take? It's best not to use a new piece of wood until it's completely dried out. And I suppose and that varies. That the, has been proven by various studies to only take two, two years. However, okay. the tradition dictates that it's much better to use a piece of 150 year old dry wood than two year old dry wood because it has more mystique about it. So again, there's constant play between reality and mystique. Yes, yeah. So, so you, you have this piece of wood, you bring it into your workshop and you said before the interview that you love when people actually work with you on the project of the instrument that they wish right. to achieve through that. Right. It's, so it's, I, I think Caitlin is a, is a fantastic example over at her right. website, the photos of her cello are there. So can you just explain the process of when somebody comes to you and how does that interaction happen uh my passion is getting musicians to to go the back to what i consider a traditional method of choosing not only their shoes or their coat but their instrument where they go to a, a violin maker and say i would like this this in my instrument and i would like a certain tone of varnish. I would like this design in, in the scroll. And I would like to put a message from my grandmother on the inside of my violin so that I can keep her memory alive in my heart. And so that's what I do to try to interest musicians in, in buying an instrument that I would make just for them rather than going to the retail outfit where they they try hundreds of instruments and then say, oh, okay, I guess this one fits pretty well. But why not go to someone who will make one just for you that hopefully can fit perfectly and also provide you with inspiration and a receptacle for your memories. And how long does the process take? So we'll say, a musician comes to you, they say they want, oh, I don't know, a cello. Like, what's the time span of that whole task? Would it take a the year? The time span for each instrument is really only about, I can finish one in about eight months. But due to my, to, to my waiting list of orders, if you come to me now, you'll have to be patient for two years. Oh my goodness. But so to be so well worth I the wait, I have no doubt. Well worth the right. wait. Yeah. So, so you so what's very interesting about some of your instruments is that some musicians, and Caitlin actually is one, she got paintings added to her instrument. You right. know, like scenes. That's it's just so beautiful. It's so unique. Uh the the whole idea started with the concept of let's make something that's unique just for you that reflects your personality and respect and respects your attitude towards life 
so that your your instrument becomes part of part of your whole life and not just an object that you use for creating music but it's it's a prized heirloom let's say that you're going to pass down to your children and also retain the memory of let's say your favorite uncle on the inside it's beautiful and you also said a very interesting uh sentence when we were speaking before the interview about you know you've got to tune or tune the wood how does that happen in your world how do you tune the wood what's the process actually carlene hutchins started the process of tuning wood electronically but there's also an old older method which is called using the tap tone method where you hold the instrument by the a node in the wood and which doesn't a node means a place where the vibrations don't happen and so you hold it there and tap on it and you hear the resonance of the particular wood and basically you try to get a pleasant gong sound out of the wood and that does the trick pretty well even though you can get quite a bit of accuracy and maybe even overdone output of numbers if you use the computer electronic method. Yeah, and, so, and which do you I, prefer? Do you prefer the electronic method or the old school ways you call it? Um, it has to do with my mindset is more intuitive and um, art with no strings attached. And, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Real, authentic, true art. Yeah, then um, I'm not what they call a numbers person, but but I have an eye and I have an ear, and I do it in what for me is a, a, let's say a humanistic manner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Which and I'm not thing. against I'm not against the numbers. Yeah, it's just not your thing. It's just not I use numbers wherever I can. But some of us are more inclined one way and some of us are more inclined the other way. And I happen to, to be the, the hands-on manipulator rather than the scholar calculator type. I understand the personality so, thing. Mm -hmm. And in the face of mass-produced instruments, where does your skill fit in? Are there many people like you across America or Europe using your process of making string instruments? Um, there, there are not very many who, who are making classical violins um, in such a personalized way. They still, if they become a, cl a classical violin maker, they tend to completely go traditional. And so they replicate as closely as possible the old Italian masters. And I'm, I say, okay, let's use all this old Italian beauty and, and perfection of the craft, but let's expand it to go in a slightly different way and fill a, fill a niche that uh, is missing in our lives, which are filled with mass-produced products, and and get something that's 
personal just to you and meaningful in a lot of ways to you as your as a as a human being and it it's it feels we have we we're so consumed with or so showered with products that are pre-made and pre-designed to fit many people we, we feel like our own unique identities are lost and if we have a few possessions that reflect ourselves that that's a psychological staff of life and that's what i that's what i would like to create for people so me i don't say that my instrument doesn't necessarily sound any better because of this but it's psychologically um there's rewarding. that connection i think what you're alluding to really is that soul spirit connection mm -hmm. that there you have a soul connection to the instrument because when you think of music it's a very much of a spiritual expression you go back to the old masters you know of the classical eras whether it be romantic classical baroque particularly i think romantic perhaps um it's very much if you're to express a piece of music with depth you have to go into that spiritual soul realm of yourself as an artist and then to produce the sound if you have a connection to your instrument it's an extension of your physical body right it gets to that level and so it's it's a very when, um interesting topic yeah the for instance all these old instruments there's a body of work that exists from the 1500s onward and but if you keep in mind that each one of these instruments wasn't made as a, a, along an assembly line it was made for some specific person back then and we don't know who that person was now but the instruments i make they have such a huge i've put such a huge effort into creating something unique that what I make for an, an instrument for a person will cause that person's identity to stay alive. Yes. For very true. For for as for long as the instrument as, is, is, is there. an object. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, for somebody who wants to enter the world of instrument making as you are demonstrating, where would they begin or what books could they pick up to study or read about such a topic? What would you suggest? Um, you can you can go of course on the internet find a long list of of how to make your own violin. My favorite book, however, is one which I discovered in in the public library when I was in seventh grade, and it's called uh, "Violin Making as It Was and Is" by Heron Allen, and that was written in I think. 1825 something like that so that's and, a really old master speaking the real and, and the, the book is written in this florid style that that's soothing to the soul and the and old it, english you know it it spews out this knowledge that you need in this very um uh flowery language that just draws you into the whole process even though the process is complex it's written with such literary beauty that you carry your own you carry it on no matter 
what your difficulties are. And so that's really my favorite book. And you said earlier as well, before the interview about kits, that there's kits available. Now, I know for some people, they might just dip their, might like to dip their hands a little into something like this before they decide to go all in. Are kits a good thing to play with before you? Oh, of course. Yeah. If you're interested in this endeavor that I have chosen to spend my life doing, I would highly recommend a kit. And you can get kits with various stages of the violin where you get all the parts and all you have to do is glue them together. Or you can get a kit that has all the pieces of wood and all you have to do is then cut it out and um, do the whole thing yourself. You can also just go ahead and buy a piece of wood and really try to do it from scratch. But I would highly recommend if you don't have a teacher, buy a kit. And Yeah, I, I think it makes sense, doesn't it, just to get the kit and just mm -hmm. to have fun with the kit. It's, it's a fun thing mm -hmm. to do anyway, I would imagine, for an instrument, yeah. you know, somebody mm -hmm. who plays a string instrument just to have a bit of fun on the right other side right. of the coin if you will mm -hmm. so where can people find you Anne? um well you can find me in albuquerque new mexico and if you want to find me on the website it's ann at annecoldviolinmaker.com and my phone number is there my landline is there <laughs> she's an old school gal so she she's not very I technically have an email. you do, do have, have an email, email. Yeah. So you like the email, you like the phone, and you're happy, you're comfortable utilizing those methods. And I can even get a letter. Heaven a letter. A letter. Aren't letters beautiful, though? I mean, I remember when I was growing up, letters used to transfer one time a week up and down to a grandmother who lived 100 miles away. And every week there'd be a letter up and a letter sent down south. Yeah, I have, a, I have someone right now I'm making a violin for. Yeah. And I can tell she's. She is always sending me things in the mail. That's and beautiful. she has this handwriting that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I'm thinking, how did you learn that? And um, it's so refreshing it, in the world of technology, really. It is. I know. I know. Yeah. I know. And yeah, then that's, that's a whole other subject. It is, isn't it? It is. Well, and it's. It's been a pleasure speaking to you today because I think this topic is very interesting. And would you say that there are opportunities there for new instrument makers to come into the industry like yourself using you are utilizing many old methods and to make a sustainable business out of it over time? Um, Do you think that's yeah, possible that's in today's world? Clue. That's the clue right there. Sustainable over time. You go into it for your own enjoyment and your own fulfillment. And then you you have years and years of patience and gradually you build up your clientele and you you try to make it actually um fruitful and, in terms of and when was your breakthrough moment i would expect you were probably making instruments for many years perhaps before the breakthrough event happened of winning that competition i think in arizona in 79 what like was that your breakthrough no, I, that wasn't really a, in a way it's a psychological breakthrough but it's not a monetary breakthrough 
the monetary breakthrough comes with, oh, I sold my first violin. That's, that's the real marker for me. And so, and there's very, there's many ways of selling what you make. And actually that brings me to the, the modern age of this question, um, this quest, which is because has become a boon to those of us who want to do it in the old way and want to create original one-of-a-kind products or objects of beauty, period, or sound. <laughs> and so the fact that we have this communication system now, which provides one-to-one -one contact over thousands of miles, face-to-face -face and voice-to-voice, -voice, which never existed ever, ever, ever. Um, it, my real uh, success, if, if you want to call it that, in terms of making my living has come since, since I had my website. That's amazing. Because, since you have had the because website. I, I can contact an individual yeah. and not go through the the middleman process. So how old is your website? How long is it in operation? Uh, I can't. Uh, my website is probably uh, one of the older ones because I have a husband who was passionate about computers, um, computers early on when they first he had I suppose, one of the so first that would have been mid yeah that's what I was going to say 1999 about that period that's when your first website went out so around there I think yeah but you know when the, he had it we had those little computers called um TI-99, um, Amiga, you know, all these names that no one even knows right now. Yes. So Yeah. So you saw the dawn of the internet. So, yeah. The, yeah. the computer has changed my life, even though I'm not really versatile in that mm -hmm. venue. It's just got you out there, really. It's been a marketing right. tool in a sense. It's like, beautiful. where would some, for instance, someone in Singapore has a violin that I made or someone in Vietnam has a violin that I made. Mm. And how else could they find out about someone who, in Albuquerque, New Mexico? True. You know, and, and that leads me to another question. You know, it's your string instruments, of course, are made of wood, which and wood, I don't know, does it take in moisture? How should these instruments be cared for? in environments or climates where there might be a higher humidity? Is there a way of caring for your instrument in that type of environment that's different to a drier climate? Um, well, first of all, in my own personal pro pro process, I not only seal the outside, but I put a thin sealer on the inside. So most instruments start facing up to the, the, the terrible humidity, for instance, that can destroy an instrument early on because there is a theory that says you should not seal the inside so the instrument can breathe. But if it can breathe so well, 
and soak up all that humidity, it'll start falling apart, to put it bluntly. Because the glue that's used in all these instruments is also water-based, it's nothing more than gelatin. And so I try to use as much modern invention and modern understanding of how to preserve things as I can to, to make these instruments long lasting and that they will last eons, hopefully. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. So that means your instruments really can be, you know, taken into any climate and they'll be okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, and it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast and I, for me personally, being a pianist, I don't know anything about the string world and what's involved in instrument making in, in the string world. So it's been a revealing interview for me, but I can see that it's a skill that somebody, if they're patient with, will have over time and practice. It's much like learning an instrument. You have to practice your instrument to learn your instrument, but you've also to practice the art of making such instruments as well to create the beautiful right. sound one desires. Right. So it's it's a beautiful thing. So everyone, you can head over to her website to look at some of the beautiful instruments she has made. The pictures are on there. There is videos there. Um, she's also has a Facebook uh, page, I believe. And you will see all her projects there. There's even a, a tab there for her current projects. And I reference Caitlin Fahey Crow's uh, cello. That's photographed on your website, I right. believe, as well. And you can find everything at ancolviolinmaker.com and the link will right. be in the description below. It's a feast for the eyes. It really is an artistic feast Thank for you. the eyes. So pleasure to have you on, on. Anne. Pleasure. Thank you. Absolute pleasure.